0: Thank you for being here today, braving the treacherous roads to come be a part of our service. I thank you very kindly. Please, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians, the second chapter, verses 12 through 19. Colossians 2, verses 12 through 19. And as you're turning to your scripture today, I would be remiss if I did not mention the elephant in the room. The Super Bowl is tonight. And according to reports, at least 110 million people will watch today's Super Bowl 2024. That means the Super Bowl is projected to see 5 million fewer viewers than last year, as 115 million people watch Super Bowl 2023. Do You know how many Christians, and I don't just mean Baptists, I mean, do you know how many Christians are sitting in a pew or watching a television or looking on the internet watching a church service? It's estimated, and this is a good number if you want to remember it, 129 million Christians in this country attended a church service, either virtually or warming a pew. And uh, there's a talk show I like to listen to, and the host made the comment that because the attendance at this Super Bowl was going to be low, he suggested that the game be moved to Sunday mornings. It wasn't long before they got an email from a listener that said if you thought attendance was low this year it would be a disaster if you move it to Sunday morning and what the listener was saying is don't become Christian don't come between Christians and their Lord even if it is the Super Bowl what I like about the Super Bowl is the winner of tonight's game will be a team that exhibits five specific traits according to Vince Lombardi the team that will win will be the one that has the greatest desire. The team that will win will be the most disciplined. The team that will win will have the most commitment and focus. The team that will win is willing to sacrifice all, and the team that wins will possess the greatest character. And I would say if we Christians could apply those traits to our daily walk, we would turn the city of Pueblo upside down for Jesus Christ in a very short time now back to the text for you were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done by hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the messiah having been buried with him in baptism you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by Him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. They are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm, and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. May God add a reading to the to the reading of May God add a bless. Excuse me to the reading of His word today. I had to read this. I'll confess something to you. There's a lot of gold in this passage of Scripture, quite a bit. And when I was preparing this sermon today, I had to read it about nine times before I came to an understanding of what the passage was really trying to tell me. But the text opens with the acknowledgement that each of us was dead before God. Underscore this in your mind, that all people, regardless of what others may think of them, were dead in the brokenness of their fallen condition. Each person stood condemned as sinful before holy God. This was the universal condition of all mankind and that includes all of us who were now redeemed for those among us who were lost those who have never received the risen savior as master over life spiritual death properly describes their fallen condition it doesn't mean that they don't walk and talk in the physical realm it means that they are unconscious of God and they are dead to him interestingly enough but the spiritually dead are aware there is a God. They just don't know Him. And knowing that God exists is not the same as knowing God. You might know that the President of the United States is real. And I'm, I'm saying this metaphorically. None of you know actually know the President of the United States. There is no one among us who can pick up the phone and call the President and, and, and give him a situation on your life and ask him what's happening in his that is the situation we meet in the spiritual realm people know about God but people don't know God now if you're walking the highways at nighttime and you look up at the stars and you see meteors falling and you hear one of our coyotes barking in the distance and you you see the firmament of the Milky Way way off in the distance you come to a conclusion, rather naturally, that this just didn't happen. That you know that something put that there. You know something caused all that to come to be. And I get a kick out of something that they call, uh, uh, when, when you're studying uh, biology, they see a divine creator or a master creator as they look at the DNA and the chromosomes and the one celled organisms and all these things they are aware that God must exist and I know we're aware of all these things we've always been aware of good and evil but knowing what is good and knowing what is evil has never been sufficient to turn any of us from doing what is evil we have the knowledge of good and evil but we don't have the ability to choose the good or avoid the evil. Our lives are dreadfully inconsistent in choosing to do good, and we're woefully inconsistent in turning from evil. And though we may try ever so hard to choose what is good and to avoid what is evil, we fail miserably. And we ruefully admit that we don't have the ability to do good. In biblical terms, we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. There is no way to mask this. At one time, we were dead. There was no possibility that we could accomplish anything in our own strength since we were dead. We had no ability to perform any work, no ability to think, no ability to reason. Without the intervention of God's Spirit, no individual can change his or her condition God is at best a distant illusion if we are dead. There is no fatherhood of God because for us he's dead, because we are dead. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? That's like sitting down in front of a London broil and taking it in one gulp. You just can't do it. And you know how many of you know I was 11 years old when I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And I had to freely admit I was such a hellion that everybody knew Ed needed to accept Jesus. (laughs) There was no doubt in anyone's mind that Ed did not know Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And Oak Forest Baptist Church strived mightily to get that in my head. And one day at a church service, it just clicked that I needed to know Jesus. And I walked down the aisle... And I talked to Pastor Tom, and he came over the next day to my house because he couldn't believe it. <laughs> and he led me to Jesus. And people at that church will tell you, my life changed, my behavior changed. But there was a time before that church service that I was a little hellion. And then there was that church service where everything I needed to know about God clicked. And then Brother Tom explained it to me that next Monday. And that's when I passed from death to life. There was an actual day that this all took place. And I'm, I'm careful how I say this, but I would ask any of you, if you can't remember a day that you accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, come talk to somebody. Please talk to somebody. It isn't only that we were spiritually dead, but our trespasses, the lack of perfection, and our own being has, contempt, has condemned us to eternal separation from God who is holy. The righteousness of the Lord is a condition that is unattainable for us. We can never be righteous, just as we can never be perfected through our own efforts. Possibly we knew of the existence of God, but we could not know Him because we didn't have the intellectual Or moral capacity to know some of you out here might know somebody that got an honorary doctorate I don't know how many of you ever heard that Uh, I get a kick out of it because there's so many people that get their bachelor's degree and they get their master's degree and then they get caught up in life and they work so hard just staying alive that the idea of getting a doctorate is just beyond them And then somebody notices all the things that they're doing, and they say, You know, no matter what, this fellow might deserve a doctorate. He's never gonna get it. He's never gonna get it. And so they talk to their board of directors, and they say, You know, it would be really a nice reflection on the college if we would grant this fellow a doctorate. It's an honorary doctorate, but we could grant him a doctorate so we could put a stamp on his life and say he's worthy of this honor. And so they call the man on the phone and say, we're not going to tell you why, but you got to come down to this graduation service. Well, why do you want me to come? That's none of your business. you just got to come. (laughs) And so he shows up, and as he walked in the door, they handed him a black robe, and they put a mortarboard over his head, and they told him to sit right there. And then his name was called. And in shock... He's called up and said, for your hard work, for all your efforts, all the things that you did, all the things you have done to promote the education in your chosen field. We know you're busy. And so we want to confer this honorary doctorate upon you for what you've done. And you go up and you get the degree and they hand it to you. And they may hang a cord around your neck. And you go and sit down and you're awed by what happened to you. Because you were granted something that you earned, but you never thought anyone noticed. Now, I want to tell you that salvation is not like that. Okay? None of us ever earned God's salvation. None of us ever did such a wonderful, righteous thing that God said, hey, come, you're saved. No. It fell upon us to realize our condition It fell upon us to understand where we stood before God. And it fell upon us to hear the Word of God and know that we needed to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. That was the only way. And as as many times as we hear about people doing wonderful works on this earth, I can tell you that unless they themselves knew Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, there is no hope for them. And that's something a lot of pastors don't like to say in a pulpit because we like to be nice we like to be friendly we like to be on good terms with everybody but the reality is if you don't know jesus you won't know god and if you won't know god you won't know eternal life it's just the end of that what's really sad is because we don't know god we hadn't the intellectual or moral capacity to know him What is far worse is that we actually enjoyed being spiritually dead, precisely because we had no consciousness of anything beyond the world of shades in which we now walk. Because we were dead, we were spiritually incapable of knowing God. There must be a sacrifice offered in our place. Propitiation for our sins is required, a means of making appeasement with God, who is offended by our broken condition. Without such interviction, there can never be peace with God. There must be a means of reconciling us to God while in our fallen condition. Here is the unsolvable problem that the world faces. We cannot even approach God. We are incapable of accomplishing whatever is necessary if there is to be peace between us and God. And yet, that is precisely what God has done for us, through offering his own son as a sacrifice because of our broken condition. Listen as the apostle presents a summation of all that God has done for his fallen creation. It might appear that I'm jumping a little ahead in the message, but it's essential that we come to grips with all that God has done for us. In understanding what God has provided for broken humanity, we are revealing again the necessity of what God has done. What a description of our condition when we were in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. And that is the condition of those who have never come to faith in the Savior. Undoubtedly, some of you who hear me as I speak in this message know that maybe you don't have hope either. And knowing that you are without God in the world. Again, you know there's a God, but you don't know God. You believe there's a God, but you don't know that God. You don't know that God. And when you allow yourself to think of Him, you know that you have no relationship with Him. And when you dare think of Him, you're terrified because you know that the only thing you can say concerning your condition is that you are lost. Can you imagine how many of you have loved ones that are in that condition right now? You know, we we tend not to think about it. We accepted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and we put that question behind us. Does God love you? Yes. God loves me because I accepted His Son as my Savior and Lord. Does God care about you? Absolutely. Does God care about the decisions in your life? Absolutely. Is God concerned of the path that you're on? Absolutely. God knows us because we know His Son. But think about the ones out there in Pueblo right now that don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And you see the things that happen to them. And my question to you today is, does it move you? Are you tempted to tell them about Jesus? That is the greatest temptation you can fall to, is to take someone aside and say, you need to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. When I was in the Navy, uh, my ship would be in port, and there wasn't a whole lot to do. I'd gotten my work done. And so I would, I would eat supper on the ship, and then I'd put on my civilian clothes, and I'd go for a walk. And I'd walk off the base, and I'd walk around into the neighborhood. And uh, I had some people approach me one time. And here I was. I was a Christian. I knew the Lord. I, I actually belonged to a Baptist church in Charleston where I was stationed. And uh, they came up to me and they said, are you in the Navy? Well, when you got short hair, kind of are. It's hard to hide that fact. Are you in the Navy? Yes, I am. Do you go to church? Why, yes, I do. What's the name of your church? Well, North Charleston Baptist Church. Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Why, yes, I do. I accepted him in 1969. Are you sure? And I would go through and I would witness to them about my salvation. I had nothing better to do. And they were surprised. Because usually when you encounter a sailor, they're walking to a bar. Or they're walking someplace where they really shouldn't go. I'll just drop it at that. And to interrogate one who knew the Lord was a surprise to them. But you know, I mentioned that 129 million people went to church this morning. But if you think about it, how many people are in this country right now? 315 million people. I'm not going to do math in public because I'm terrible at it. But that's almost 200 million people in this country who don't go to church. Who may not know the lord as as they may not know jesus as their savior and lord and here we sit in a nice comfortable church on a nice comfortable pew hearing this pastor say you ought to talk to them you ought to take the time and tell them how much jesus loves you i was at our ministry this morning at uh, the vfw in, in canyon city and one of my guys comes by and he says, uh, what are you doing this morning, Ed? And I said, well, I, I'm preaching at church after this. He says, oh, really? Well, what are you going to preach about? And I told him Colossians 2, and he had no clue what I was talking about. And I said, well, uh, he says, what's, what's that say? And I told him. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that when I was a child. And I said, okay, well, did, did it stay with you? I don't know what you mean. And so I sat down and I talked to him a little bit. And I was hoping that he wouldn't follow me to church because he had heard the sermon twice. (laughs) But the reality is that what I told him is what I'm telling you now. You might know the Lord. You might have known Him as a child. But the question is, is God leading you? Is God taking you where God wants you to be? I've told you many times that as as a Christian... Uh, I had these desires for my life that had nothing to do with what God wanted for me in my life. I told you that I wanted to be a doctor, and that fell through. I told you to want, I wanted to be a lawyer, and that fell through. I told you all the things I wanted to do, and there's nothing wrong with those professions, by the way. They just weren't right for me. But the time came when my ship was uh, you know, cruising through the ocean, and we were watching the sunset which for sailors is kind of a cool thing to do. And so we're, we're, we're cruising away from the sun and we're watching the sun go down. And it was so beautiful. And I turned to my shipmates that were sitting on the fantail with me as we watched this go down. And I said, how can anybody doubt that God exists? And as it got darker, I walked away and I went downstairs. Well, I had mess duty. And so I was. I was on the mess decks early in the morning, and uh, I was uh, scrubbing pots and pans. And uh, one of the guys named Justin walked up to me, and he says, "He says Ed, I want you to know something. What you told me that how can you doubt there's a God? Move me." And I went to one of your friends, and he led me to Jesus last night. And I was. I was in awe. I was in awe just to have a little part of that. It's amazing how something you say that you never think about, a little seed that you plant, can sometimes come to life in somebody and lead them to find out how they can know Jesus as their Savior and Lord too, and you have that power within you to plant those seeds. Long years ago, the prophet Isaiah was moved by the Spirit of God to write of the one whom the Lord God would send as a sacrifice in our place. Listen to Isaiah's words as translated into contemporary language. Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was of no account. But the fact was that it was our pain that he carried, our disfigurements, all the things that were wrong with us, we thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we receive healing. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything that we have done wrong, on him. On him. And that's found in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Jesus, God's anointed one, his own son, would give his lone life for broken humanity. How powerful is the knowledge that while we were doing our own thing, while we were marching to our own drummer, we were piling up sin and evil that condemned us and separated us from the mercy of God. And we were were utterly condemned by our own choices. God piled all our sins, every evil that we've embraced on him. Jesus took upon Himself every sin, every wrong, every deficit, every failure, every ruinous act, every evil that has ever marked our life. If I should be turned away from the love of God, it will not be because God has not provided a means of reconciliation for me. It will be because I did not accept the grace which is extended to me in Jesus Christ. Now I think about that sometimes. I remember a, a famous evangelist said one time, if you go to hell, it's because you rowed your own boat. If you go to hell, it's because you decided to go to hell. And that's very true here. People expect us preachers to speak of the crucifixion of Christ, especially as Easter time is coming upon us. Superficially, the resurrection of our Lord is the center of what has become another among multiplied celebrations observed within Western society. But it is often forgotten that there would be no resurrection without the death of God's Son. And the Savior presented Himself in the most horrific manner imaginable as a sacrifice for our sin. The Romans did not invent crucifixion but they employed it as a means of subjugating conquered people. The method, this method of execution was not to be administered to any Roman because it was seen as too degrading of a death. There was no question but that the one who had been crucified was dead after all the suffering they did while hanging for days suspended between heaven and earth. After our Savior doing all that, dying as he did, cutting through all the spiritual red tape of the law to give us pardon, purification, and the promise of eternal life, what does the addition of any ritual improve upon what Jesus has done? When you consider that Jesus died for our sins, what can you or I do to improve upon what He did? And what Paul is saying here is that If you say you're a Christian, but you don't go out and observe the stars at night, then you're not a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, and you don't make a trip to Jerusalem in your lifetime, then you're not a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, but you have a terrible bloodline, and you've got awful people in your ancestry, you're not a Christian. And what Paul is saying in this second part of our passage is this. What are you going to add to make Jesus' salvation better than it already is? What are you going to do to make it more complete? What are you going to do to make it touch more people? What can you possibly do? Back in Paul's time, they had a group of people called the Judaizers. And these are people that have watched someone accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, who are not Jews, and immediately take them in and try to make Jews out of them. And Paul was telling them that even though they might have had good intentions, but they were terribly misinformed, what they were really doing were deceivers seeking gain at the expense of these young people. The modern-day equivalent would be the charlingtons who do not preach a true gospel, but prey upon the natural tendency in people to think they can and must work to be right with God, but spread their message in such a way to make people obligated and loyal to them in the process of working for salvation. One of the heresies that you see now uh, is what what they call the prosperity gospel. I don't know if you've seen that. But people will look at you and say, You're not rich. You don't live in a big house. You don't drive a fancy car. You must not be much of a Christian. God must not like you very much because you don't have all of these things. Nothing, nothing, nothing can be added to what Jesus did for us. Nothing, nothing, nothing can subtract what Jesus did for us. No matter who you are, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you need to understand you've got a lineage that goes right to God Almighty. You are his child. A good friend of mine, Paul Looper, used to say, and God ain't got no grandchildren. The reality is that if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are a child of the King. Nobody can take that from you. If anybody tells you you're not much of a Christian, you ought to be able to tell them you're not much of a reader of the Bible. You need to read Colossians 2. You need to understand that Christ did too much for anyone to cheapen what He did for you. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, As we stand before you today, this message is about salvation, but it's also about the power of that salvation. Nothing can take away from it. Nothing can cheapen it. Nothing can add to it. Lord, you did it all and you made us your children. Help us, Lord, to embrace that fact. If we don't remember anything about our salvation, let us remember that you love us and that we're your child. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.